Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Tampa Bay Rays 5, the Cleveland Indians 4 in extra innings. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And we do have some off-field news to get to, but first... I got a really early work morning, so I am jumping on the microphone as soon as this game has ended, which means that this is now Cleveland Baseball Nightly. Yeah, it's a nighttime episode. I'm going to hopefully record for about 10 minutes and then my head will hit the pillow. It is going to be an early start for me in the morning. No time to drop a podcast. So this episode is more going to be quick reactions to what went on uh, in this game than any kind of detailed analysis. There is some off-field news to talk about. First off, in one of the most bizarre uh scoops of all time that I've ever seen from a sports journalist. Uh, Paul Hoynes had the scoop that the Indians have picked a name and they are not ready to announce it yet. What kind of a... I couldn't even make myself click on the article. I couldn't give them a click for that. I couldn't do it. I couldn't honor them with a click for such a ridiculous story that they broke. I mean, it'd be basically like me coming on here and say that I am breaking a story. And the new story is, I have a story. Details to come. Like, come on. You either keep digging, (laughs) keep digging and figure out what that name is going to be. Or is there anything really to report yet? So, yeah. So the Indians have apparently settled on a name but they're not ready to tell the world about it. Is it Guardians? Is it Spiders? I feel like it's Guardians. I feel, I feel like we're all pretty sure it's Guardians, right? I think that's where we're heading. I'd be happy with it. I'd be fine with it. Just make the announcement already. Come on, Paul Dolan. Quit teasing this thing out. I know you got to get some legal clearance on a secondary logo or color scheme or something like that and get Sherwin-Williams to agree to your signature colors so you could sell it, you know, but come on, just, just, just tell us already. The other big news is actually on the other side of the diamond, on the other side of Progressive Field, the Rays just went out, made the second big trade of the trading deadline season, and they went and got Nelson Cruz from the Minnesota Twins who is on a one-year contract. It's a decent chunk of money. It's actually a very un-Tampa Bay thing to do. They usually don't bring in kind of big money guys even as a rental, and they give up two prospects that are knocking on the door, two right-handed pitchers that are knocking on the door. They did get another prospect back in the trade, so it was a two-for-two trade. And it's guys that we could very well see pitch against us uh, before the season's out, because they're AAA guys that were kind of ready. And one of them's a big strikeout guy. The other one has struggled with Tommy John surgery. Um, so, yeah, so that's the big off-field news. Now, let's talk about this game. And the big storyline here is basically the Indians hit a three-run home run in the third and then trying to hold on, and the bullpen faltered in the end. Specifically, James Karinchek faltered in the end. Um for Mio Reyes, they would actually challenge for Mio Reyes in the third inning. And it's kind of interesting here because 
sometimes you think that your big challenge is in front of you and you get past it and you realize there's an even bigger challenge waiting for you up ahead. And that's what happened to Fermil Reyes tonight. He comes up after Oscar Mercado doubles to start the inning. Cesar Hernandez grounds out. Ahmed Rosario strikes out. They end up with the base open walking Jose Ramirez. They are still afraid of Jose Ramirez, even though he has been slumping. Slumping for most of the month, to be honest with you. So it brings Fermil Reyes up, and he ends up going 109.9 miles per hour exit velocity to the bleachers in left field, just gets it over the railing, 406 feet. What was the count on this pitch? That's what I want to know. The count on this pitch was... It was on a one and two count, so he was up in the count. He got him to swing at a four-seam fastball up and tight, and in fact, they talked about it on the broadcast. Now it's called, it's all coming back to me. Uh, they talked about how, hey, you is he going to be ready for a fastball? Is he going to challenge him with a fastball in the first pitch? He did. It didn't seem like Reyes was ready. It seemed like Reyes swung because he knew he was supposed to swing if it was a fastball, but he wasn't ready for it, and he blows it by him. Then throws a slider down. Throws another slider uh, down in a way that he swings at. Um, and then throws him a slider that misses. He hangs it in the zone. It's up at the belt. And for Mio Reyes, plants it in the seats. So he thinks that's the big test. But the big test was actually ahead of him. The big test was waiting in the 10th inning. And we'll get to that for a second. They trade runs in the 4th inning. So the Indians maintain their 3-run lead. Tampa Bay does get another one back in the seventh. This time, it's due to a really, really bizarre play from Daniel Johnson out in right field on a Francisco Mejia fly ball, which Mejia hit it good, 94.7 mile per hour exit velocity, but it only had a batting average, expected batting average of 230 because there was no reason Daniel Johnson couldn't run this ball down. It wasn't even going to make it. It didn't even make it to the outfield wall. It bounced on the track. Daniel Johnson could have run this ball down, but he ends up overrunning it and then jumping for it, making it look like it was going to be a home run or off the fence, and just completely jumping past the ball. It was one of the most bizarre plays I've ever seen, and he did not have a good night. He let another one get underneath him that I believe also went for extra bases, also went for a triple. That was Yandy Diaz in the fourth, Um, and that would be how another run would score. So two runs score early in this game because Daniel Johnson either took bad lines on the ball or just made bad attempts at the ball in right field, and we haven't gotten to see a lot of Daniel Johnson play out there, but that was not that was not good. That was not good at all. And then finally, he redeems himself late in the game. He's tracking one deep on the warning track. This time, he doesn't jump. This time, he stays with it. He still has to reach back. He still overruns it a little bit, but he's able to make the catch. So that's how they score their two runs. It's 4-2 going into the ninth inning, and here comes James Karinchek. And how does things start off? It starts off with a solo home run from Yandy Diaz. 
And uh, I believe Karinchek was up in the count on this one. I believe Karinchek had the count in his favor against Yandy. Yeah, it was a I was a one oh one count. It was an oh one count. He uh, he got a four seam fastball for a called strike, and then he left a curve in the strike zone. I mean, he he is known for throwing curveballs for strikes. It's not a terrible pitch. It's on the inside edge. Uh, it's an, you know, it's an attack kind of curveball. It's i I'm going to throw strikes kind of curveball. And in fact, he did not do a good job of getting his curveball down today. He, uh, he threw four curveballs, uh, total one, he buried in the dirt and the other three were all up. One was way above the zone. One was buried in the dirt and the other two were in the strike zone. One gets hit for the home run. Uh, one, he does get a called strike on a Rosarena. So yeah, so uh, Karen Check, I gotta say it's not the worst pitch. Now, does the spin rate have something to do with this? Because Karen Check's spin rate is down. Everybody was pointing out on Twitter after the game that since they cracked down on the sticky stuff, his FIP, his fielding independent pitching, which is basically strikeouts and home runs and walks, things that he can control, uh, is way up there. And his spin rate on his four-seam fastball is down 196 RPM from his yearly average. And his curveball is down 129 RPM from his yearly average. So the four-seam fastball means that the ball doesn't stay up as much. It, gravity has more, it less spin on that fastball. The more effect gravity is going to have, the more it's not going to ride up in the zone the way he likes to throw it. And obviously, the less spin on the curveball, the less snap you're going to get when that ball does break. So, I mean, he's maxing out right now at or below his yearly average. So clearly, the sticky stuff was making a difference for Karen Check. If you look at his spin rate. Um, now, that pitch that he threw to Yandy Diaz, not a terrible pitch. Not a terrible pitch. It just, Diaz went down and got it. So you got to give the hitter a little bit of credit there. Against Kira Meyer, he gets him to ground out, throws him all fastballs here, uh, pounding him up until he finally throws one in the zone that he grounds out to shortstop. Francisco Mejia is the next man up. He lines out to uh, Daniel Johnson in right field. He attacks him with the fastball. G-Man Choi comes up, pinch hits, ends up walking him on four straight pitches. Which brings up Brandon Lau. A pinch runner goes in. And Brandon Lau gets all fastballs all in the same location. All outside and all at the thighs. All in the same location. Karinczak loves throwing his fastball up. And for some reason, he doesn't here. He throws them all at Lau's thighs. And Lau is a power hitter. And he puts one off the wall in left center field. And the pinch runner comes all the way around to score and ties up the game. Then in the ninth, in the tenth inning, uh, tenth inning would go to Brian Shaw. Brian Shaw comes in, and I saw India's Twitter was not happy about that. But there's not much. Le- I mean, you already use Maton, Classe, and Karinchek. I guess Sandlin would have been the next choice, but they bring in Brian Shaw because they think maybe the veteran can handle the tenth inning. Instead, Wander Franco grounds out, which moves the runner up, and then actually does not move the runner up. The runner stays at second. Austin Meadows, though, would single over the shortstop's head. That would bring in the run. 
So that's all they needed. That is absolutely all they needed. Then in the 10th inning, I told you we're going to come back around to Fermil Reyes. Jose Ramirez would hit a huge fly ball out to right field. It would be caught at the track, at the wall. Uh, the runner on second to start the inning was Ahmed Rosario. He tags and goes to third. And now Fermil Reyes is up with a runner on third and less than two outs. And so many ways to bring that runner in to score. And they're not afraid of him. They're pitching to him. They're challenging him. They're challenging him. They could walk him. They could create a force situation here. But no, they challenge him with sinker for the first pitch, a low. And then slider, 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 and slider. And after fouling off three in a row, he eventually strikes out swinging on a pitch that, frankly, was right in his wheelhouse. A pitch that we've seen him turn on and hit for a home run to left field so many times. All he needed to do was hit a fly ball. All he needed was a fly ball. And Ahmed Rosario probably could have tagged up from pretty much anywhere in the outfield and scored. And he could not get it done. So like I said, you think the challenge is in front of you, but the real challenge is waiting just beyond that. And that's what happened to Fermil Reyes tonight. And then Bobby Bradley, slider, 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 swing, strike, swing, strike, lays off one for a ball, and then in the exact same location as he laid off the pitch number three, he swings through it for strike four, well, for, for strike three, the fourth pitch of the at-bat, and strikes out for the fourth time on the day. Sorry, a lot of numbers there to get through. He was 0 for 4 on the day with four strikeouts, and Bobby Bradley is really, really scuffling right now. He almost had a home run. He launched a hanging breaking ball to the uh, to the drink rails in right field. Unfortunately, he pulled it about 10 feet foul. It was a monster shot, absolute moonshot, but unfortunately, foul ball. Bobby Bradley just, man, he cannot lay off those low breaking balls. He just cannot lay off them. And it is definitely the word is out that if you want to get Bobby Bradley out, I mean, I told you, four sliders in a row there to end the game. So, I mean, Castillo throws a good slider. That's kind of his go-to pitch. It seemed like, I I don't know, he threw it 13 times and threw the sinker twice. So, seems like his go-to pitch. And uh, it gets him out of the game, even with a runner on third base. And even with the Indians' three best hitters up, they cannot deliver a run in the bottom of the 10th inning. So, it is an incredibly frustrating night. I could dig into the stats more. I don't got time. I got a busy work day. But at the end of the day, that's the storyline there. The Indians had so many chances to win this game. And uh, they threw this one away. They It really felt like the Indians threw away a great opportunity here to beat a playoff team. Uh, we didn't even talk about Quantrill. Quantrill had a decent start. He goes six innings, gives up four hits, one earned run, three walks, two strikeouts. He's not a big strikeout guy, but he limited them to only four hard-hit balls on 94 pitches. So that is pretty darn good. That's a quality start, and it should have been not good enough to get in the Indians a win tonight. Should have been good enough to get him a win tonight. It was good enough to get him MVP for the day. That's all I can give him right now. MVP for the day. Hopefully the next time he starts, the Indians bullpen and offense will have his back a little better than they did tonight. So that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Nightly. 
You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, on the name, on the trade deadline. Let me know your thoughts on anything. I'm here to talk. I'm here for the fan conversation. So let me know what you're thinking. I'll discuss it on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor. So if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Night.